that came around pretty quick. I'm not sure if you heard that uh, squealing noise that was coming through earlier. I just want to assure you that that was something interfering with our sound system. It wasn't me sitting in the corner stressing about coming up here this morning and sharing God's word with you. Okay, this morning we're going to look at the book of Jonah. And when we mention the name of Jonah, one of two things usually comes to mind. The first image that comes to mind, particularly in the mind of New Zealanders who have an interest in rugby, is a fine afternoon on June the 18th, 1995 in Cape Town. Most of you know where we're going. (laughs) This is the iconic moment when John Olamu ran over the top of English player Mike Catt to score an amazing try. Now, Joan Olamu had truly burst onto the international rugby scene during this tournament and he was regarded as being truly sensational. He went on to score three other tries in that game and to add injury to insult, it was the same game in which number eight Zinzan Brook kicked the drop goal from some distance out. Now, I'm not sure if it's my dodgy memory or not, but I think he was pretty close to the halfway line when he kicked that drop goal. New Zealand went on to an emphatic win over the English, scoring 45 points to 29. Now, as much as I could this morning, just continue on and recount all black glory, we will leave it at that. If we were to continue, no doubt our South African friends would remind us who actually won that particular tournament. And also it's probably quite timely to uh, just discuss the unwritten code that yes, there was a game this morning, but we are not to discuss it just in case there are some of us among here, among us, who haven't yet seen the game or heard the result and are hoping to watch the replay this afternoon. Okay, when we talk about Jonah of the Bible, the image that often comes to mind is of Jonah and the whale. Now, I'd just like to point out, I had a bit of difficulty finding a decent picture of Jonah and the whale. That actually isn't Jonah. The DNA test is still out, but we're not sure if that's the actual whale. Okay, if we were to be technically correct, uh, we should actually say Jonah and the great fish, because it doesn't actually mention a, a whale in Scripture. As such, it is not uncommon for the book of Jonah to be considered no more than a children's story and a Sunday school lesson. And I think part of the reason for this is that Jonah is considered by some to be a parable, a myth or a legend. How could this be possibly true? However, when we look at the man Jonah, we find that he is a historical person. When we explore the book of Jonah, we find that it is more than a bedtime story. In Jonah, God speaks to us about his sovereignty. God has authority and control over the entire universe. In Jonah, we can witness how God is sovereign over nature. We also see that he is sovereign over mankind. Because God is sovereign, when God has a plan or a purpose, it will come to pass. This will happen either with or without us. When we read Jonah we see that God's plan and purpose for the citizens of Nineveh, it comes to pass. This is despite Jonah having no interest whatsoever in God's plan. In fact, he goes well out of his way to avoid it. 
When it comes to the will of God, what we need to consider is how we respond to it. Do we trust God? Do we submit to God and take on board what his will is and then run with it? Or are God's purposes not convenient for us? Are God's plans not in step with our plans? Is God's will not in line with our outlook? The big question is, is God sovereign in our lives? The other major theme in Jonah is the mercy of God towards all nations. His salvation is open to all people. These themes of God's sovereignty and with that our response to God's will and the theme of God's mercy run throughout the entire book of Jonah. Today, however, we will look at the first two chapters of Jonah and focus on the sovereignty and the will of God and how we respond to it. In a few weeks' time, we're having a youth service in the morning and we will be going through Jonah chapter 3. Uh, we will then look at God's mercy towards all people and how he wants us to take the message of salvation to others. Now before we read this morning's passage, let's see how the book of Jonah fits into the overall layout of the Bible. When we look at the first verse in Jonah 1, the opening verse in the original Hebrew reads like this, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now when we look at this statement, you could ask the question, why is the first word and? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, it's because the Bible is not a collection of disjointed short stories. The Bible is one continuous story from Genesis through to Revelation. It deals with God's interaction with mankind. It deals with how the Lord redeems people. And we find that the story extends off the pages of the Bible and into our lives. When we go through the Bible, we see that it starts with creation. And then we see how mankind chose to rebel against God and there were consequences to this. God established a covenant with Abraham and that his descendants will become a great nation and they will be a blessing and witness to other nations. We have the formation of the nation of Israel and God brings them out of Egypt and captivity. Then we see how Israel takes possession of the promised land. And Israel, who was called to be a blessing to other nations, was actually influenced by other cultures and their idol worship. And so over a period of time there is a rebellion against God and a spiritual and moral decline takes place until finally God exiles the Israelites into captivity. There was, during this period of time, golden periods amongst this gradual decline. We can read the accounts of Joshua and David and Solomon and there are plenty others as well. And of course the Bible doesn't end at the exile. God once again brought his people out of captivity. Then later we have the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see that Jesus is the fulfilment of all of God's promises. Uh, we also can read of the establishment of the church and then we go on to days that are still to come as revealed in the book of Revelation. So your Bible has a continuous theological theme running through it. Now where does Jonah fit in? Well he slots in towards the end of the period of the kings before the exile. Israel had for some time been split into two nations. We had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now during the reign of King Jeroboam II the prophecy that Israel would extend its boundaries came to pass. And this 
prophecy was spoken by none other than Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now I must apologise here, uh, my pronunciation of certain titles in, in the book of Jonah, uh, you'll find out later when I get to some of the place names, might not be quite correct, so, so just snigger away quietly, please. Okay, so this is the same man, this is the same Jonah that the book of Jonah is named after. And we can read about it in 2 Kings 14. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned for 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So this was a former king who was also called Jeroboam. And he had made Israel sin. And here's the bit about Jonah. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Now, the reign of Jeroboam II was a time of great prosperity in Israel. The nation regained lost territory and expanded both its boundaries and its influence. However, it was also a time of moral and spiritual decay as the nation rapidly moved away from God and into idolatry. And in about 50 years' time from this period, Israel would be conquered by the Assyrians. So it was about this time that Jonah lived and ministered. Now we're about to read the first two chapters of Jonah, but this morning we're not going to really focus on the second chapter. In chapter 2, we find that Jonah has been saved from certain death when he was swallowed by a great fish. Now, I'm not sure what it would be like to be inside a great fish for three days, but I'm pretty sure there's not a lot to do. So it would have been an ideal opportunity for Jonah to contemplate his predicament, his situation and possibly pray. I know if it was me, I'd be praying flat out. Part of our message this morning focuses on the negative aspects of Jonah's character and some of the poor choices that he made. However, in chapter 2 we see a bit of a balance here. We see that Jonah, who had previously rebelled against God, had come to a place of repentance and dedication to the Lord. Right, let's read from chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship had lain down and was fast asleep. 
I think it probably would be quite worthwhile to do a bit of research to see if Jonah was actually a teenager at this stage. (laughs) So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was grown more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the land, and they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, because, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And then Jonah makes this this great declaration. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And then we come to a verse that, if most of us guys are honest, is probably one of our most favourite verses in Scripture. So the Lord spoke to the fish 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God's call to Jonah. At the beginning of God of Jonah, God calls Jonah to take a message to the city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah is quite different from other prophetic books in that it doesn't focus on the message that Jonah proclaims, but rather on a series of events in Jonah's life. As such, a lot of the teaching from the scripture comes from God's interaction with Jonah. It also comes from God's sovereign interaction with nature and mankind and also from God's heart towards a heathen city. The message itself that Jonah proclaimed in Nineveh is contained with one in one verse and we find that verse in Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It was God's will that this message be proclaimed to the city of Nineveh. God had seen the wickedness of these people and wanted them to turn from their wicked ways. We read about God's heart towards mankind in Romans, in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now Nineveh was a city in Assyria. These were not a people of Israel. They weren't Jewish. They didn't know about the eternal God of heaven and earth. They had their own gods and their own idols. But God knew about them and he knew about their wicked ways. If these people did not turn from their wicked ways and turn towards God, they were about to face destruction. Now this predicament wasn't something particular to this group of people. In fact, it is a crisis that all mankind has faced throughout all of history. It is still an issue today and will continue to be one in the future. If you are without God, then your sins will lead eventually to your spiritual death. Scripture is very clear on this. However, we see that it was God's will that the citizens of Nineveh were made aware of the fact that their sin was about to lead to their destruction. His desire was that they would turn from their wicked ways and turn to him. Likewise, God desires that all people will repent from their sin, submit their lives to him and live their lives within his will. But how could the Ninevites know this unless they heard the word of God? God chose Jonah to undertake this task. God commissioned Jonah to go to this city and speak his word to the people there. Jonah was the appointed preacher of the hour. And even though we are not prophets or preachers, like Jonah, we are also called by God to talk to those who don't know about him and share with them the good news of Jesus. A scripture that has come up time and time again this year is Matthew 28, 18-20. Now, I wasn't here last week, but I'm pretty sure that it was even mentioned last week as well. 
This is the Great Commission. And it's, the Great Commission is God's call for all who profess to be his followers to take the gospel to those who do not know, know it or acknowledge it. We see in Jonah's case that the call for him was to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. This message itself is straightforward and it's contained within one or two lines of the book of Jonah. It is, however, a very important message. It is the message that is best not ignored. One of the main themes of Jonah is God's sovereignty. He has authority over all of creation and he even has authority over our own lives. J.I. Packer said this about God's sovereignty. God's dominion is total. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills and none can stay his hand or thwart his plans. When God has a plan or purpose, it will come to pass, either with or without us. It was God's will that the people of Nineveh turn from their wicked ways and it was God's will that Jonah was the chosen man to go to Nineveh and proclaim his message to them. Jonah, however, had other ideas. He chose to flee from the Lord. However, we can read later in the book of Jonah that God's will did come to pass. Not only did the Ninevites hear the message from God and they repented, but it was Jonah who delivered the word from God. Throughout the book of Jonah, we witnessed several miracles. These miracles demonstrate God's authority over nature and mankind. And all of these led to God's purposes being fulfilled. As we read through Jonah, these are the miracles that God does. First of all, he speaks directly to Jonah. Then when Jonah goes to flee from his presence and goes on a ship, God sends a great wind on the sea and there is a great storm. Now, undoubtedly this was an incredible storm. These were seasoned mariners and, and sailors and they probably hadn't seen anything like this storm before. Then when they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. Then we also see that when Jonah was thrown into the sea, that the sea suddenly ceased from its raging. The wind died down and the sea was down. And Jonah was in the sea and facing certain death from drowning, but then the Lord prepared a great fish to rescue Jonah. And then the other miracle was that Jonah actually survived in this fish for three days. And then after that time, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now if we were to read on into chapter 3 and 4, we see that God's miracles continue. The first one, and a quite amazing one, was that all the Ninevites turned from their evil ways after hearing the word of God. Now I've heard it read somewhere that there would have been around about 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. So this was a massive revival. Uh, we can also read in chapter 4 about how God prepared a plant to cover Jonah. Then God prepared a worm that would damage the plant and cause it to wither. And also God prepared a scorching east wind to blow upon Jonah. These miracles greatly display God's sovereignty. 
They show his authority over mankind and nature, all of which he created. And we read earlier in Hebrews how he sustains it by his word. He sustains creation through his word. We see throughout scripture many examples of his sovereignty. He has authority over all of creation. And we can marvel on such things and point to them and declare how great our God is. We stand in awe of his sovereignty over everything. The question though is when we consider our own lives and our lifestyles, do we recognise that God is sovereign there too? Do we acknowledge that the Lord is the Lord of our lives? Do we surrender all that we are to the Lord? A good indicator of whether or not the Lord is sovereign in our life is how we respond to his will. The way that we should respond to God's sovereignty and will is to trust and obey him. It sounds easy, right? Well, maybe not. Because the biggest thing that hinders us from submitting to God is us. It's sort of like we realise that we're not in control of our own universe and we don't like it. We have our own ideas, our own goals and our own plans. And when we don't submit to the will of God, we make choices that are outside his will. This is usually not a good move. Take a look at Jonah for instance. What can we learn from the way that he responded to God's will? When researching this morning's message, I found a couple of references to Jonah that describe his character. He has been described as the disobedient prophet and someone else described him as the reluctant missionary. And these terms well describe Jonah's response to God's will in in this particular situation. In fact, his response to God's call is the proverbial what not to do. The main reason for Jonah's reluctance is alluded to in chapter 4. After he had proclaimed the word of God at Nineveh and the citizens had repented of their wicked ways, this is the prayer that Jonah prayed. Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This was Jonah's prayer after all those people of Nineveh had repented and God had relented from destroying them. God had done an amazing work amongst those people. But this prayer that he prayed is very different from the prayer that he prayed that we just read in Jonah chapter 2 when he was in the belly of the whale or the great fish. This prayer that he was praying now was a prayer of anger. Jonah would rather die than not have his own way. One commentator refers to Jonah praying his best prayer in the worst of circumstances and his worst prayer in the best of circumstances. Jonah knew that God was gracious and merciful and figured that God would show this grace and mercy to the Ninevites. Jonah may have had good reason for wanting God to pour out his wrath on the city. They were Assyrians 
and the Assyrians were ruthless enemies of the Israelites. As such, Jonah didn't exactly have the warm fuzzies for them. As a church, we support many missionaries and all of these missionaries, when they are called to go, either already have or will develop over a time a heart for the people that they are ministering to. Now this wasn't so in the case of Jonah. In fact, this probably was a case of hating the sin and hating the sinner also. It's not unusual for us to feel the Spirit of God prompting us to share the Gospel with people that we may not identify with, people that we usually don't associate with, or even in some cases may have a dislike for. It might be awkward and uncomfortable for us to share with them. How do we respond in this situation? Would we trust God and go through with it? What if we were in Jonah's situation? How would we have responded if we were in his sandals? So Jonah was called to arise and go to Nineveh and proclaim God's message. How does Jonah respond? Well, he did arise and he did go. However, instead of going to do the will of God, he goes to hide from God. Jonah started in Israel. So just imagine this was Israel. Nineveh, this isn't Israel by the way, it's not even a very good representation. Nineveh was located in what is now Iraq, which was around 805 kilometres to the northeast. I'm not sure if that's northeast, but that's what we're going for. Tarshish was located in what is now the western coast of Spain and it was no doubt a fantastic place to retire to. And it was around 3,200 kilometres away to the west. They are in completely opposite directions. And not only that, they're around 4,000 kilometres apart from each other. There is no doubt that Jonah knew what God wanted. He was clearly making a choice to disobey God. I read somewhere that it's like Jonah had said to himself, if I go to Nineveh, who knows what will happen there. If I stay here in Israel, God will keep pestering me to go. If I go to Tashish, then I can hide from God and start over again. And that's the option that Jonah took. He decided that he wanted to run, hide and start over. However, the trouble with Jonah's disobedience is that Jonah assumed that he could run and hide from God and then be able to carry on like nothing had happened. Psalms 139 reveals something different to us that is in contrast to that. Reading from verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What Jonah didn't realise or what he had forgotten was that God was not limited to the geography of Israel. He might as well have taken a spaceship to Mars. God is everywhere. There is no hiding from him. What about us? 
Do we do the same thing when it comes to the will of God? We don't have to run to the other side of the world to hide from God. We can be right here within these walls and be hiding from him. And it's not necessarily hiding from undertaking a task of ministry. God can be speaking to us about something within our lives or our nature that he wants us to work on or repent of. Instead of heading for Nineveh and the will of God, do we flee to Tarshish and disobedience? When God speaks to us, do we move in a direction of obedience or in a direction of disobedience? One thing that we read in Jonah that we find is that disobedience can come at a high price. Jonah paid his own way to travel and it is understood that it would have been an expensive exercise. Some commentators think that he would have sold up everything he had so that he could pay the travel expenses for his relocation. And what happened? Well, the fishing charter that he had booked did not go as expected. Not only did the storm of the century hit, but his dream of catching and eating a great fish turned into a nightmare with an unexpected twist. The point is this. Jonah poured his resources into this trip. He lost all that he had invested. A great storm came that threatened to take the ship and the lives of the crew. He got to the point where he chose death over repentance, requesting the crew to throw him into the raging sea. God then sent him a a great fish to save Jonah. However, he spent three days inside this fish. Now I've never spent time inside a great fish and never planned to. However, I bet that it wasn't a picnic. And after all of this, he was vomited back onto shore. Oh, the indignity. Jonah suffered great loss and hardship. And for what? For nothing. Not only did he suffer loss and hardship, but he was right back where he started. Maybe not the same physical location, but he still had this task which he was reluctant to undertake and it was sitting right there in front of him. And it can be the same for us. When we disobey God, we can suffer great loss. We can suffer loss of time, loss of resources, loss of relationships and loss of opportunities. And often those things may not be recovered. Donald Gray Barnhouse He was an American preacher, pastor, theologian, radio pioneer, which sort of points at about uh, what point in time he was around. He was also a writer and he wrote this about this sort of situation. When you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you are going and you always pay your own fear. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you always get there and he pays the fear. Now opposite to the choice of disobedience that Jonah made, we had the option of obedience. Most of us learnt as children that it was far better to obey our parents than run the gauntlet of the consequences of disobeying them. When it comes to God, it is not just a case of obeying him so that things go better for us or that we avoid getting into any trouble. Our obedience or disobedience demonstrates where our heart is towards him. We can read about this in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
But why, and in Luke 6.46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And another scripture in Samuel, and at this point in time, uh, it's King Saul had been uh, told by God what to do through the prophet Samuel, and he disobeyed. And this was the response of Samuel to him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. When it comes to responding to God's sovereignty and will, here are some questions for us to honestly ask ourselves. How does my obedience or disobedience display my spiritual condition to God and to others? Does it display a picture of my love towards God? Does it display the Lord's glorious and gracious salvation? Or does my disobedience display someone who is far from God? Let's close in prayer. Lord, a song that just comes to to mind for me is My God is an awesome God. He reigns on heaven and earth. And Lord, this morning we do come before you and we acknowledge that you are indeed an awesome God. You do reign on heaven and earth. And Lord, we just, our prayer this morning is that you reign in our lives also, Lord. Lord, I just pray for, for anyone here, who, Lord, who, who, who has been spoken to through your word this morning, Lord that if there are things within our lives that we are holding on to for ourselves or or not handing over to you completely, Lord, I pray that you will um, just continue to quicken us and that, Lord, that we will come to you and see through these things. Lord, we also just pray that, Lord, when we speak about obeying you and obeying the will of, of God. Lord, we didn't really touch on the fact that um, what is your will? What is the things that, that, how do we come to know you and experience you, Lord? And Lord, we just know that we come to know you through your word, through things that we are taught, things that we share, Lord, through also through your spirit interacting with us. So Lord, we just, uh, submit ourselves again to you today and declare you as Lord of our lives. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Chris.